Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Faithless with Lisette Diaz, a program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Hello, hello. Welcome to the fifth episode of Faithless. I am Lisette Diaz, your host, and I am super excited that you're listening here today. Um, Today, actually, I would like to start a series of four episodes titled Virtues and Vices. And we've all heard of the seven deadly sins, pride, greed, envy, wrath, lust, gluttony, and sloth. And it's common knowledge that these can take you straight down a path that you don't really want to go go to. And they're called the seven deadly sins for some. And the reason I want to talk about them is because they are the things that really make you stray from having strong faith. The word vice is defined as immoral or wicked behavior. But surprisingly, we find that these vices are things that we value in this world that we live in. And because they're encouraged so much through advertisements or false promises or even from the feeling of being able to get what we want by practicing them, because of those things, they've become commonplace in our lives. But as we said before, we live in a faithless world. That was the name of our our first episode here, A Faithless World. And it's a world that doesn't encourage faith and actually praises the normalization of having no faith. And this is what sets us apart. We want to have faith. And even though going against each of these vices might be extremely difficult, that doesn't mean it's impossible. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states that the seven deadly sins are considered the capital sins, or capital sins meaning the worst sins, by our Catholic faith, because they engender all other sins, which means that all other sins are born from these seven vices. And through these three episodes, or four episodes, sorry, we're going to explore each of these vices and virtues that go along with them. So not only are we going to learn how to identify the vice, how to kind of spot it for what it is, we're also going to learn how to battle against it. So we're not just going to be left out in the open without a solution to the problem. So let's go ahead and get started. Today, we're going to be tackling pride and greed. And so we're going to start with, with pride. When someone says that they're proud of you, that's a really good feeling. It really does feel great to know that someone appreciates you for what you've done and accomplished. And and that kind of appreciation from one another is something that we really treasure. And that's good. But the kind of pride we're talking about here is not the kind that says, oh, my heart is full for you. I'm so happy for you. This, this kind of pride we're talking about is the one that causes arrogance and indifference towards others. It's the kind of pride that keeps you from God's graces. Think about the first sin that was ever committed in the history of sin. God's most beautiful angel, Lucifer, the angel of light. He was the closest to God and the most trusted by God. He had it all. But he started to kind of feel like he was God's equal or even better than God. And that's something that's very common with all of these vices. They make us feel like God is not relevant in our lives, like we're better than God or we are God's equal. So Lucifer started feeling like he was God's equal or even better. And the first sin that was ever committed was the sin of pride. 
he thought he was as good or better than God. So he went behind God's back and he tempted Eve and she tempted him to make her see the things that he saw because he kept telling, oh, God's hiding things from you. And with this action, he sought to make this new creation disobedient to God. And in a way, making someone disobedient to someone else is a way of claiming ownership. So he was trying to claim Adam and Eve as his own, putting them against God. And his pride made him think that he could have this dominion, rule, and control over God's creation. And God put him in his place. He sent him, he literally sent him to hell. And as a side note, when we say hell, we don't talk about a place because hell isn't really a place. It's a state of being. For those of us who find it easier to relate to like a burning pit of horror and suffering with fire coming out, well, that's, that's the earthly way of interpreting hell. It's the way that our human nature is, is easier. It's easier for us to deal with that picture. But get ready, science teacher mode, ready? So <laughs> when we think of something like darkness, we have to realize that darkness isn't really a thing. Light is, is that thing. And darkness is the absence of light. And when you have silence, silence is not a thing. It's just the absence of sound. Well, in the same way, we can see that hell is not a place, but a state. Hell is the absence of God. So where God is not present, that is hell. So God completely removed Lucifer from his presence because of pride. Um, because of Lucifer's pride. So you can see that arrogance, thinking that you're better than someone else, or, or thinking that you're too high and mighty for something, that's all pride. If you want to read a book about getting rid of pride, oh my gosh, this is an awesome book. I highly suggest that you read The Servant. It's called The Servant by James C. Hunter. And it's a short book. It's really not long at all. I read it in my leadership class at UCF when I took leadership in, re in religious studies. It teaches you how to be a leader by showing, showing you how to serve and how to let go of your pride and how to be humble. And the book is about like this, this well-to-do businessman whose home life is just falling apart and his wife forces him to go to a retreat. And he doesn't really want to go, but he agrees to go because, well, he heard that the guy giving the retreat is, well, I think he's like, a, I don't quote me on this. I don't remember exactly. It's been a while since I've read the book, but um, I think he was a bishop that had like a, B a PhD. So he figured, you know, the guy's smart. I guess I'll go to the retreat. My wife's going to leave me if I don't go. I might as well. And so, and this is one of my favorite parts of the book, because when he gets there, he goes into his room at this retreat center, and he sees that there's a man, who he assumes is the plumber, fixing the sink and the toilet in his bathroom. And he doesn't think much of it. He just, it's like, oh, hey, thanks, and then just does whatever he wants. And then um, when it's time to go to the first talk of the day, he walks into the conference room, and he sees that the so-called plumber is in garments, and he's ready to start the retreat. So the PhD bishop was the plumber fixing his toilet. And talk about a lesson in humility. He he has a PhD, but he did not mind getting his hands dirty and fixing that toilet for somebody who was technically, according to the world, less than him because he didn't know all the stuff he knew. So if 
if that's something that we can practice and then and then we can look at the son of god the son of god came down from heaven to wash his 12 disciples stinky feet feet that probably had calluses dry skin like crazy from all the walking they did and it's all sandy if the son of god could wash stinky dry feet why do we sometimes consider ourselves too good for certain things So not only does pride affect our willingness to do things, it affects how we treat others. Nobody likes to be treated like they're lower than scum. And people who are very proud tend to relish in making others feel that way. It makes them feel better to be better than others. It also affects the way that you carry yourself. People who are arrogant and enjoy bullying others and criticizing and flaunting what they've got to show themselves off, those are symptoms of pride. And really, pride is just a cover-up because you feel better making yourself, making others feel less than you and making yourself higher and mightier. But really underneath all that, there's probably some sort of hurt or pain that's being covered up or some sort of um, place in your life where you feel like you are lacking and that's why we are proud and we try to cover it up with this so really take a look at where your pride is coming from if you suffer from this and, and it's okay we're all here to help each other so if you're suffering from this these symptoms of pride it's, it's really good to do a self-evaluation and think about where is this coming from? Do I feel like I'm not enough and that's why I have to make others feel like they're not good enough so I don't feel bad about myself? So we really have to evaluate that. And the cure to battling this pride is practicing humility and modesty. The thing about humility is that people feel like they're being placed on the other side of pride. When you're proud and you enjoy the feeling of others beneath you, being humble and putting yourself in that place of being beneath someone willingly, that's a very hard thing to do. People don't like to feel put down. So why would they put themselves down? So you see, humility requires a great deal of love. You have to have love for the other person and enough love to not make them feel like they are nothing. You want them to feel important and cared for. Because honestly, that's how you would like to be treated. But when someone doesn't treat you that way, backing down and saying, okay, that's fine. That's a giant step. And that doesn't mean you let yourself get walked all over. Not at all. That just means that you are going to respect the other person. You can still defend your rights and be humble. Also, humility can come in the form of staying quiet when you make a great accomplishment. I found that that's actually a really, really great exercise. And I'll tell you a secret. See, moms, us moms, have this disease. We like to show off our kids, and we're so proud of them (laughs) that sometimes we get this idea that our kids are better than other kids, which is absolutely not true. And we know that, but it goes up to our head sometimes and just just how awesome our kids are and just awesome. So one thing I try my best to avoid is competition between parents. Conversations that go a little like, oh, my kid is so smart, he can say his ABCs. Can your kid do that? Or, um, well, my kid did that months ago. Is your kid okay? See, that kind of talk, it 
it's depreciative, it's demeaning, and it's just, it's really rude. But that's pride and arrogance. Instead, why can't we respond with, oh, oh my gosh, he's getting so big. I hate it when they hit that milestone. It just breaks my heart. So you see it in this way, you're giving value to the other person's statement. You're encouraging them and you're empathizing with them and relating to their situation. You didn't put yourself down. You just lifted them up. And we hear this in the Bible, and it's a huge statement from Jesus in, in the Gospel of Matthew, um, in chapter 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We also talk about practicing modesty. And modesty can be shown in many aspects. In the way we talk, the way we dress, the way we live our lives, being modest is watching the way that we we talk, just how we practiced a little earlier with the parent and and all that conversation, and the way that we dress, think about it. If you're dressing to show your goods off, not only are you causing others to sin, you're also bringing attention to yourself. And in order to battle pride, the goal is to not bring attention to yourself. That doesn't mean you can't dress nicely. It just means that you don't have to show off with the most expensive clothes or the most cleavage or the tightest thing that can call attention to yourself. And trust me, you don't want that kind of attention because it only brings dishonesty. When you're modest and people come to you and seek you out, that is the mark of a true and genuine personality. And modesty in the way we live our lives is absolutely essential. If you have a lot of money, that's that's great. God has blessed you, and I'm honestly, I'm very happy for you. So many of us aim to achieve that goal, but we can't. So really good for you. I'm really happy for you. Now, are you using that money wisely? Are you are you being modest with how you spend your money? Just because you can afford something doesn't mean you should own it or buy it. I once heard of a man who is filthy rich. I read a story once somewhere. I mean, this man can own a chunk of Disney if he really wanted to. That's a lot of money. For those of us who live here in Florida, um, (laughs) we know how much Disney's worth. But he drives the same little car he's had for 15 years, and it runs just fine, so he's not getting rid of it. He doesn't need anything bigger or shinier. He's happy with his little car. His home is super nice. It's absolutely beautiful. But it's not overly extravagant, and that's awesome. And you know what he does with his money? He invests it in scholarships for students who can't afford higher education, but have that passion to be educated. That's a man who isn't bringing attention to himself by the things that he owns. He instead is is being modest with what he spends, having what he needs, and giving to those who need as well. And that is humility and modesty. So when you feel like you're becoming arrogant, or you have that urge to act better than someone, or, or... make someone feel beneath you just bite your tongue just for one second and just remember to practice humility and modesty and that actually leads us into our next topic which is greed and the tenth commandment says that we should not covet anything that belongs to our neighbors for where your treasure is that is where your heart is also And as we read in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we see that the Tenth Commandment forbids greed in the desire to, and the desire to amass or collect earthly goods without limit. It forbids avarice, which is kind of another word for greed, 
it forbids avarice arising from passion for riches and their attendant power it also forbids the desire to commit injustice by harming our neighbor in his temporal goods when the law says you shall not covet these words mean that we should banish our desires for whatever does not belong to us our thirst for another's goods is immense infinite and never quenched thus it is written he who loves money never has money enough and as you continue reading it starts saying that it's not a sin to want to obtain what the other person has and what that means is that if your neighbor has a beautiful house it's okay to also want to have that beautiful house or a beautiful house but it's not okay to want that house because that is their home and that's something we have to accept that does not belong to me but i think if i work hard i can get there and that's okay that's a good thing but saying no i want that house you have to you have to be very vigilant with those things that's something that's greed that's where greed comes from and you you can make that goal for yourself to one day have that we just have to be modest and another another way to practice modesty so let's talk about greed then what is greed have you ever heard of that word miser a miser there's actually a play called the miser um, a miser is someone who collects money and, and never spends it and just hoards and hoards money and he just wants more and more and more and that's how greed works what you have is never enough in very simple ways we can say that greed is like let's say that you absolutely love cheesecake and someone buys you a cheesecake to sing happy birthday but because you love cheesecake so much when it's time to cut the cake you give everyone really really thin slices of cheesecake and you serve yourself a giant mound of cheesecake and then after everybody's served you put the rest away so nobody can have any that's being greedy and that's a silly example but but it is it that's being greedy it's like no you can have little slices this is mine i don't want you to have it and another example we can we can take children let's take children for example when a kid has a lot of toys and they're playing and another kid comes over to play sometimes you see that the first kid just starts grabbing all the toys even if they don't use them anymore or don't even like them they just want them all they don't want the other kid to touch them and that's greed and greed grows into selfishness which is why we always have to teach our kids to be generous we have to watch out for that behavior and all parent we know that all kids do that but we have to lead them in a different direction so one thing nobody likes to talk about is money anytime the church asks for money you can just look at everybody and almost everyone is rolling their eyes and saying well here we go again the church digging into our pockets and i love this this analogy that um i learned once at, at crown ministries that when we get baptized usually we get baptized but we have our our wallet in our hands sticking out of the water so you can baptize me but you can't have my money <laughs> but my dear friends isn't that greed at its peak when you look at the Bible, the thing that is talked about the most is money. Jesus talks about money so much. It really is crazy. And my husband and I learned this at a finances ministry course we took right before we got married. Money is a huge problem. You see, everything you own, it's not even yours. God blessed you with the things that you have. And all he asks is for you to give 10% of the first fruits of your labor so that you can build his kingdom here on earth. 
So he's asking you to build the kingdom. When we think about it, are we actually doing this? You see, it's not the church that's asking for 10%. It's God asking for the 10%. And he says so in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 23. Make an offering of 10%, a tithe, of all the produce which grows in your fields year after year. Bring this into the presence of God, your God, at the place he designates for worship. In this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God, your God, as long as you live. That's from the Bible. <laughs> Obviously, not all of us grow produce, so we can't give 10% of our fruits and veggies. But our produce is the money we receive for our labor. And by giving it to God, we're establishing this generosity that is so crucial to overcoming greed. So please don't get mad at the church for asking, because their first priority is to help those in need. So your tithe is going to build God's kingdom. And we always have to pray for those that receive this money, who are in charge of administrating it, that they'll use it wisely and in God's favor. But that has left our hands. We have, we have given to God what he deserves. Another thing we have to um, practice in order to battle greed is charity. And we all know what charity is. Charity is voluntary giving of help to someone in need. When we want to hoard and hoard, the best thing is to give and give. Doing the opposite of that vice is going to help you battle against it. So please don't ignore those who are in need. If you have something that you can give and, and you can honestly live without it, Give it to someone in need. And one thing to notice is that these sins put ourselves or other things above God. It keeps us from knowing what God is all about because we're too busy storing treasures in this world. And we don't spend enough time storing treasures in heaven. God sees our efforts. He really does. We just have to be willing to make the sacrifice. And when we practice humility and modesty instead of pride, or generosity and charity instead of greed, we can really begin to change. And my challenge to you this week is to take these two vices and do a deep analyzation of your life. Really think about yourself honestly. I mean, it's not like you're telling anybody else. You're, you're talking to yourself. Realize honestly and try to catch yourself practicing greed or pride. And then when you spot it, you can immediately start doing the opposite. It's going to take effort. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And honestly, it's a lifelong journey. But the earlier that you start, the more you practice and the more conscious you become of what you're doing, the faster that you're going to start to apply these changes in your life and you're going to see the difference they can really make. So let's take a quick moment to do a prayer of humility and generosity so we can focus this week on becoming holier people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for the blessings you've given me in my life. I know sometimes I might not be as appreciative as I should be, but I really am grateful. This week, I ask you to, to help me see my areas of weakness and fill them with your love. Give me the strength I need to practice the virtues of humility, modesty, generosity, and charity. Help me to be a light to others 
and to learn how to serve others as you did here on earth. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. Please don't forget that this is the first of a four-part series on virtues and vices. So tune in next week so we can keep exploring these vices and get some more tools to rid ourselves of them. And until then, as always, may God bless you and keep you always. Amen. Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presented Faithless with Lisette Diaz. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.